0: It's hard to tell people's incentives where if if mine, it's easy for me because all I do is want my kid not to die while they're walking to school. That's pretty much all I can honestly say out loud is like my focus right now for the next year is to get these intersections safe for children to cross. And it's totally selfish because my daughter is 11, but at the same time, I can openly say it's going to benefit everyone. I just need more data to show that to the drivers, I
1: guess. Hi, smart community friends. Producer Ellen here. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, Zoe has a wonderful chat with Boopsie Moran. Boopsie is the founder and director of Urban Strategy at Places for Good, a collaborative of community advocates, planners, landscape architects, and artists in Auckland, New Zealand. Boopsie and Zoe discuss her background and passion for walkability and ensuring the safety of kids independently travelling to school. They discuss what a smart community means to Boopsie and why the organisation is called Places for Good. They talk about how to ask the right questions to collect the necessary data to make better decisions and the difficulties with measuring and communicating livability and walkability benefits both quantitatively and qualitatively. Boopsy tells us about the project she's working on now involving walkability infrastructure improvement for a stretch of land near a school in Auckland and the problems with short-term political cycles in local government when it comes to livability projects. Zoe and Boopsy finished their chat discussing the emerging trends of using apps to feed community input back to local governments, and where to next when it comes to the efficiency of feeding data back to the people that make decisions in smart cities and communities. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it.
0: Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live Work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast
2: is what you're looking for. Hello, Boopsy. How are you today?
0: Good, thanks. How are you?
2: I am very well. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. So let's just jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about?
0: So I'm have a. the founder and director of an urban strategy firm called Places for Good. And it kind of started off in an open space project in my neighborhood where we were working in a park and designing a land that people bought. And we were trying to figure out if the people were still interested in public open space. And from that, I merged kind of to walkability. And so while I still work in public open space, projects. Um, I'm really passionate right now about walkability and that first kilometer, last kilometer and helping specifically children get back into walking and cycling and independent travel to and from school.
2: That's so awesome. And how did you get to kind of be in this space and and what excites you about walkability?
0: I guess I have a two daughters, 11 and nine, and I even have a stepson who's 21. And when he, early 2006, he would cycle and I wasn't scared. I wasn't even nervous. At all back in 2006, he would just cycle to school, come home, show up, and that was great. But lately, probably starting after 2017, I started getting nervous about the amount of cars on the road. And so now that my kids are of age where they're keen to move independently, I noticed that we're not doing our best as a city to ensure their safety. And so while I was working on projects and meeting with community and particularly councils, I wanted to leverage these relationships I had made for that park project to kind of bring back understanding of what the travel of a child is like today in 2021. And I think more and more people don't realize how dangerous it is because they haven't done it in so long. So they're they're not seeing it from the kid perspective. And so that's my worry is that we really need to pay attention to that. And so I started doing more walkability. And because it has to do with crash data and stuff like that, I'm slowly learning more about tech and smart cities and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, awesome. And tell us where you are zooming in from today.
0: So, from my accent, you might tell that I'm American. I'm actually Filipino and Czech, and I moved to New Zealand, where I'm calling from today, about 2005. So, I'm based in Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, Aotearoa, New Zealand, originally from Santa Monica, Los Angeles. Awesome. Awesome.
2: Well, I'm really keen to yeah talk about the projects and things that you've been working on and, and get into, I guess, the, the theory and the ideology around it as well, because I know, particularly in this space... And I, well, I find I, I don't just work in this space. I'm passionate about this space, and so I have mm-hmm. you know thoughts around how we can shift and change in the future when we're trying to do things that you know aren't the way we've always done them. So keen to talk about that. But we'll go broad first because we are on the smart community podcast. And can you tell me what a not just me, the whole audience, what a smart community is to you?
0: Well, I think back to early two thousands when I took a bus actually in Los Angeles. And all the lights turned green as I was moving up Wilshire. And I was like, I feel like this is happening on purpose. It's not just, how is it possible that for 20 minutes, every time we get towards a signal, it turns green. And so as now that I'm more cognizant of tech and smart city, I um, am impressed when it's used for that kind of flow and movement and sharing of road. And so in a broad space, it means that. And then Also, smart cities can mean sharing data from city to city or country to country and what the data we're collecting and how we're leveraging it, but also while we're in a world where there's so much of it. So how are we now it's almost weedy. So maybe back in 2000, it was like, that was a great concept. This is working for a wider audience. But in 2023, there's so much data. How are we sharing it to each other and how are we sharing it to newly elected members? So let's say you were elected to be mayor this year. How are you going to digest the data, the smart city information, in time to make decisions for your city tomorrow? If that makes yeah. sense.
2: Yeah, no, it does, and I think um, yeah, that angle is really interesting in the sense of like we using the data to make decisions, but then how do we translate that into a language that you can easily make decisions quite quickly and you know absorb that data and and go okay, this is what it means when there's a lot out there, but also Sometimes there's, well, there's always, well, there's gaps at the moment because we, the data might exist, but we aren't sharing it or it's not being collected in a way that is accessible. So that's really important too. And I think also, like you mentioned, there's those competing interests as well. Like when we're thinking about, I mean, thinking about walkability, for example, you're talking about more and more cars on the road. So then it's actually about deciding for our cities or our communities what is it that we prioritize? Mobility is, is one example. And, and you know, shifting towards more active transport, sustainable transport, mobility, that type of thing. That can be your guiding star. And then you mm-hmm. kind of work out the things underneath that. But it actually it requires a shift now about what we think is really important. And there's, you know, so many other examples of that across the scale.
0: And I love the work that you do because I feel like by sticking to being tech, or da- da- what, what would you say your work, because just so I understand how, how we can share more because I know enough about you, but I'd like to learn a little more just for this conversation. What area are you specifically working in often?
2: So for me, my background, I'm an engineer and I'm also a master of data science now. For me, I am trying to humanize the tech elements. So the tech elements, tech and data are really important as enablers, not as the drivers, but we need to understand what's available because Otherwise, if you just go, oh, no, we're not worrying about tech and data, we're just going to keep, you know, we're going to do it with whatever, it doesn't make sense because we know tech and data infiltrating all of our lives. It doesn't mean we don't want to disconnect sometimes. I think that's really important. So it's actually about, well, what does that mean for people and what problems are we trying to solve? So the actual work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is so good because we haven't met, I haven't worked so close with data. So I've been working in placemaking as a member place making x since like 2016 so almost 8 years or something mm-hmm. and i never really harnessed smart city concept and data but i've known your space of work for a while now just from linkedin and stuff and it's so interesting that now i'm working very closely currently which we'll get to later i'm sure with the data scientists i was like this is what needs to happen more someone who's working with people and council collaborating with data scientists and engineers to merge the data so that's what I think we're at the precipice is. we got really good at collecting the information, so the last eight years we've been learning how to get pedestrian counts, look at incomes. I'm learning how to use crash data, how are we synthesizing that and putting it through like a a sieve or a filter that gives it to the people that are making the policy decisions fast efficiently, mm-hmm. and I think that's where smart cities have a play because you can make an app, let's say, but even then, I thought there's so many ways to. We've gotten good at collecting or changing lights and using smart cities for making signals move faster or counting car, how many car parks are available, stuff like that. As we try to adapt and improve how we move around a place and share, um, how are we showing the benefits of changing your mode and stuff like that? And I guess that's where I'm super pleased because I, I knew you were an engineer, but now that I know you're into data, I think that's where smart cities really can maybe even rebrand itself as this is like. Bridge between what's what we're seeing on the ground to what we know is out there in the ethers of the Wi-Fi land.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think we want to get involved. like p- placemakers need to be involved. planners need to be involved, but the tech and data people also need to be involved because otherwise we don't get the full kind of breadth of what's happening, right? If we're doing it in silos. And also like government government needs to be involved because you know they're the ones that need to make these decisions. And I think the more we're, well, I know that the more and more we understand, you know, the data and the tech at a level that, you know, it, what are the benefits, what are the disbenefits, what are the consequences, the more we talk about it, then we can make better decisions to actually shape that future that we want rather than just leaving it up to the big tech companies or, you know, people are, I guess, the, okay, we're not doing any tech at all. We're going completely off grid, which, you know, those type of things. And and I don't think there's, it's not one or the other, it's a balance and, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking about that earlier because I feel like the money in smart city communities, right, would be often coming from the micro mobility people that have invested and they are showing route plans so they can track your route of where you start and finish, where you pick up. One of the coolest things they've started doing, which they did in America first and we just adapted in Auckland, which is they have a turtle pace, which a lot of people don't know exists on like a scooter. I wasn't sure if I could say brands like Uber or Lime. But so so, so you have yeah. the Uber scooters here, the Lime scooters and the Beam scooters. And so I would travel to America or Europe and I'd say, hey, you know, in the promenade or places that are busy, they can reduce the pace. The smart technology is clever enough that it can know that that's a highly pedestrianized space and the speed should go down. Obviously can't do that in private scooters. But it was interesting out of eight out of 10, people didn't know in the council meeting that that was a feature. However knowing that feature is a difference between banning scooters and letting them stay. Yeah. So it's about us sharing the features that allow us to continue to share these devices on the same footpath and road to the people that want a hard ban or, so I find that really interesting yeah. about adapt. So I can adapt. So my specialty, when I merge with a smart community is I'll, I can be in an area for an hour and I could see where the conflicts are. And then I'll walk up directly and say, what would make this place safer? How can we adapt this? Rather than say, that has to go and that has to go and this has to go. And so you need a mix, like you were saying. You need someone on the ground that's watching the tech interact with each other. And and also, I think the data scientists I'm working with more now, it's saying, I need the data specifically what kind of data, knowing what data to ask for, right? You must be learning that Mm. from your background. Like, what are the data points that people are asking for today? I'm just new to this kind of asking Mm. engineers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really depends on uh, doing a lot of work on this at the moment, actually. For me, um, I was just doing a bit of a, a table the other day around exactly that in this place, what data do I want, right? And rather than being like, okay, well, I want... 12 time and I want movement or whatever. I actually started with first question. So what's the first question? I want to know how many people are moving through this space. How long are people staying in this place? How people feel in this space. And sometimes you can answer that with tech and data. Other times you need survey and observation. You might be able to do it with some kind of image recognition, but there's a whole lot of privacy, ethical issues with that. And then again, don't just oh, no, we won't even talk about it. Talk about it, discuss it, work out what those uh, consequences are, and then you work out the next step. And also the biggest thing is actually co-designing this with the people in your place and whether you're working with a specific group of people, a marginalised group of people, or like the whole community, et cetera. So I think there's like that's just a couple of examples. But then you go to the secondary question. So it's actually like, I I might be doing an intervention in a place. What I want to know is before my intervention, this many people went to the place. Uh, during or after whatever, however it works, after my intervention, this many people. So you're actually interested in the delta. You know, you want to know did this increase or decrease um, the amount of people, how people move. So maybe you're trying to get, um, maybe you're trying to activate a space so maybe you're able to get people to, um, you know, move In maybe it was a dark alleyway before and then you activated it and now you can see, oh, actually, that is the quickest route. So people are now moving more effectively and there's a bus stop right there. So then it's, you know, uh, more people using public transport, whatever it is. So there's a whole range of things. So I think starting with what you're actually trying to achieve or what you're so what your problem is and what your outcome you're seeking, because you may end up with a different outcome, which is totally fine, but it's actually like, well, did it solve that problem? Or did it solve another problem that we didn't realize existed?
0: That's, yeah, I ca- that yeah. was interesting because when I was using the Inhabit Place app, because it's kind of a merger of a few other functions in Australian smart cities tech and or just general apps. So it was an app that was a mixture of the Gale quality of life And it had just that we were measuring how people were lingering, but it was cool because it was in real time and the power of that app, I'm sure there's other systems out there that do similar stuff, but it was, it created, it generated cloud, word clouds. It generated graphs all within like less than a 48 hours, up to a 48 hour turnaround. And I felt like that was very useful because we did one last data collection after our intervention and that, that led to it voting through. So they were going to cut the funding. And if we didn't have that on the ground survey where we had the app and we had and we had to lay it over a map, however, they did it from the inhabit place group, but it was really huge. And so we brought it from Australia to New Zealand for this one project. And it was such a useful tool. It's just about getting the government to know how to read it know how to use it and know how you almost need a meeting before the council meeting that says this is what we use this is because you only get like five minutes to present or 20 minutes so you wish you could give them kind of a background of okay we have issues in our city we're not embracing enough data collection these are the 10 tools we could be using if we use these tools um where are our gaps in deliverables and how could we use because we have like i don't know i said there's like 50 counters on the road this week And who's going to go through all these counters? One's counting speed, one's counting because Nothing's counting walking, of course. Unless you Um, accidentally step on the tube. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I wondered, yeah, is that how that works? Just from pressure? Just from weight?
2: Yeah. Well, depending on what it is, in my experience, yeah. Would you
0: consider the tubes tech these days? I feel like they're the least smart.
2: I mean, they are a form of tech and they're easy and, and they're more temporary, I suppose. So it depends on the installation um, and is crash data,
0: would you consider crash data Smart City or is that just people logging information and then? It's
2: interesting. For me, I think bringing the data sources that we have and that we're, you know, we're trying to, I guess, make a decision about or try to make a decision and if they're useful for that input. But I think with the crash data in particular, even if it's legacy, I think it's still part of the solution. But mm. also I'm really interested in... Okay, that's crashes, so that's when something happens. but what how many times has this nearly happened, and I guess like that's a vehicle and a potential whatever, but what are the other interactions that are happening, and yeah, like what are the near misses, which again you could use some technology for and what and whatever else, and there's more and more of that available again with the layers of privacy, I think security all of that as well, but uh, i that's what I'm really interested in because. Yeah, you, you might have a really unsafe corner, but no one's died there yet, which is just an awful way to measure things, right? Or there's no you serious, you know. And actually, I had a really great chat with um a guy named um, Lenore. I can't remember his last name now. And we'll put the link in the show notes. But basically, awesome. and I'll send it to you as well, but he was like, we always measure, we're measuring all this bad stuff, but what if we actually measured the good stuff? So the the happiness and like the green space and the whatever else. And he like he's in, uh, European, and yes, yeah, very much about like the walkability and those type of things. So actually, you probably really enjoy the episode. So I will send it to you.
0: That's um, why, because that's why I called it "Places for Good." Was because generally my clients to work in the project, it has to be a benefit that's free to enjoy, which probably is how I ended up doing. I was originally doing like public open space events to activate a space, right? Which was funded by the local board, and people could come and enjoy. But walkability, a walk between point A and point B that's safe is free to enjoy which also makes it harder to incentivize technology right because what's the benefit of measuring someone walking it's just what everyone does so it's really hard when you're trying to bring it back into society and it's kind of had a it's been overwhelmed by it, the private car that we forgot that we should have been measuring it all along exactly with that previous guess. because yep. we never measured the joy and the effects of a 20-minute walk to and from a place and the stuff you're buying, which we're starting to do more in Auckland now. So we just made a strip of land more walkable and we're noticing it has more purchases, stuff like that. So is that how you measure too in your area? Let's say you rejuvenate an area and make it more walkable and livable. Is there ways that you measure the... I don't know. And this is the problem. If I'm trying to tell a local board, I don't know what words to use.
2: Well, it's like, yeah, like it depends again on what is it that they're really interested in. Is it, you know... Because there's so many health benefits. I don't think we're super sophisticated in how to like link and measure those yet, but that'll be more and more. There's, yeah, obviously economic development, those type of things, well, you know, tourism, bring people in, you know, more activation. And then, yeah, like even things, yeah, like mental health and well being. We were talking in the pre chat around, you know, these uh, qualitative things. Um, how do we make them quantitative? And it is, I think, yeah, we're gonna be doing that more and more, but there's like there's things that they can definitely do. And I know like there's lots of, and I've had a lot of people on the podcast around, you know, talking about those place indicators and things like that. And I think it's not necessarily, yeah, it really depends on the the problem that we're trying to solve or like the thing that we're really interested in, because we can't do everything because there's just so, you know, it's overwhelming. Yeah. So it's actually about bringing that in. You know, we want to see more people on public transport, for example, that might be one of your indicators. So then you focus in on, you know, what would lift public transport and measuring that before and after and those type of things.
0: I guess what's so funny, though, about measuring stuff is that you are one of our biggest barriers is businesses wanting a cycleway in front of it or a bus stop near it or a seat bench, right? It's hostile because the people sit in it, but they don't want to sit there. So have you ever had a, I wonder when I do it, I'm always trying to find, I'm trying to find the data that shows that, okay, you have a road only narrow footpath, no separated cycleway, and you're making X amount of dollars. And now if you look in this neighborhood, after they have all those things added, they're actually making more money and people are, drawn to that space to linger rather than drive through. And I'm always looking for that data.
2: Yeah, I think there's some of it that exists around, but it is still far and few between of actually measuring it properly because you need the baseline. Um, Yeah, baseline. And like what we said earlier, it's like, well, if you don't bring the data people in, early or you don't bring you know either way which if it's a data project or a planning pro or like a place activation you actually need these people to come together I mean it's one of the reasons I did my data degree because I wanted to bring I didn't want to just I wanted to have like the business or the what's it called like I've you know I've got engineering background whatever I also wanted to understand what I could and couldn't know from the data, how it worked and that type of thing. And I think you're going to see more and more of that where people have a, a either a really deep expertise in data and then but they also have a bit of a business kind of – and business, what am I trying to say, like the domain expertise as well, Mm -hmm. but then someone will have a deep domain expertise but still understand data. So then you can kind of go, oh, I know I need to bring this person in and this person, this person. And then the community should always be a key partner or a key stakeholder in that as well because they ask weird questions. Not weird as in like just like good questions that we would never ask. Or comments that, you know, you can't get that insight when you're a professional just like going, oh, well, this is how it works. But then you're taking all of those inputs and then you've got your professional expertise and then, you know, that then you bring all those things. You're not going to please absolutely everybody, but you can actually bring those things in and then the best result comes out of it.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I forgot that we use the one thing we use the most in our city is the Safe Swim app. And that's mm-hmm. something that's measuring our water. I'm sure you have something in Australia that like tells you whether it's a green or a red. We have green, red, don't swim, black, it's like really dirty.
2: Oh, uh, right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Because cause we just had the massive floods. Mm. And so we couldn't, we were not allowed to go out and swim in the sea, but better when we're trying to tell kids in the middle of summer, you can't go in the ocean. We yeah. can show them the app that shows the, did you find that helpful or those kind of data? Or is it more road sides you guys use?
2: Well, I guess it depends, and like you know, I, I do certain projects, but I guess I talk to a lot of different councils. So I think bringing that information in is really important, and being able to communicate it with the community. And I think uh, something you were talking about earlier—it's like that data storytelling—that really is really important. So it's like, okay, so you've got the data, you've got the spreadsheets or whatever. Part of smart communities is actually being able to translate that to something really useful. But I'm really keen. Let's talk about some of the project you're working on and yeah, share some of the fun things you've been doing.
0: Well, so one of the projects we have going right now is a walkability infrastructure improvement to a stretch of property, like a stretch of land. So basically before COVID we had the previous government had allowed for an extension of what is a very good now separated cycleway to go further down connecting pretty much the city center to our closest college or in America, it's called a high school. And it was all happening. And then the other government got in and they paused it. But already the seven principals had said yes. And so this is where data becomes very important because the continuity between leadership and for me, what I believe is the apolitical nature of our position that everyone's entitled to like clean air as they are to walking to their school. I think to me that maybe I'm personally think that should be everyone's problem, whether you're a national voter or in New Zealand, it's national labor to Republican and Democrat. So we've been gathering the data. So, what I found to be most useful to get me to understand the urgency and the right of kids to feel safe, which I really liked your example for females, because you'd be in meetings where people don't even think about lighting or a bus stop amenity, right? So, this project being I'm working with the school board this is how many people, humans it requires before you then gather. And lately, so only six months in, was I like, maybe the crash data will help because sometimes they'll say, let's put in the cycleway, but let's not put speed humps, speed tables at each intersection. When in reality, I went back through all the reports from 2014 to 2019 and 80% of the near serious injuries or any type of uh, crash report was at an intersection. So, Here they go, we're going to cut out the intersections, but we find the data shows that's the most dangerous spot, the most volatile spot. And then after I show the data, I bring a mother to the meeting that describes her walk and says, these are all the intersections without a light. Not that a signal is the answer, but for government to realize this investment is important. And I don't know how, they say it's not worth the money and they call it a common word, which we're not supposed to say, thou shalt not speak, is gold-plated cycleways that's in Auckland, a big issue. And so we're really, I feel like I brought the data in late in the game. And I really wish I had it sooner just to get more parents on board and more schools on board because it's only our one school that even knows it's not happening. And the other six schools just assume it's going to happen. But in reality, we need to be there in meetings with the data, with the families saying, we're walking, but why are we brave for walking? So yeah, you shouldn't tricky.
2: be brave for walking, right? Like <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, But no, I think, yeah, that's really interesting. And you're right. It's like you need, and I guess what the uh, thing about smart community approach, rather than just like, oh, we just need more data. It's actually, we need the data to tell a story, to tell our story for us. And our story, about our verbal story is data as well, but it's actually part of the story that then we can, well, We've got our story, then we've got the numbers, and then that whole thing is, you know, the whole narrative um that we need to then shift the shift the needle and and governments that rightly so have to work on evidence, right? And data, mm. as we all should, but it's actually those new forms of evidence and data that we can bring in. I mean, we're all humans at the end of the day as well. So there's also always a personal element and a bias, you know. We have a bias toward, you know, if we cycled as kids or or whatever, we may be one way or the other, or if we Mm. live somewhere where that was normal, or if we, you know, were dropped off every day or whatever, caught the bus, whatever it is. And so I think showing that data then starts to break down some of those biases as well. But then also that diversity in decision making does Mm. too, which is not something that we necessarily can control, but it's something we can push for in the future.
0: Well, one kind of trick I tried to do in the present, I took it out, but I wanted to leave it in because I felt like it was kind of aggressive or passive aggressive either way. So two of the people who were against the improvements or the cost of either way, didn't feel it was urgent or important, come from suburbs outside of the city center. And so in a context of like Los Angeles, you have Santa Monica Beach or even downtown LA and it was someone as far as like Long Beach or 50 minutes to one hour away saying, sorry, downtown LA isn't that bad. and looks all great from long beach over here so you don't need it and they're allowed to be a vote at the table that says no you're not going to have the money for that Mm -hmm. so i found a map that had to be so zoomed out to show the amount of crashes which was like five whereas that was maybe covering 20 streets whereas just in our neighborhood there was a hundred on a single block three blocks and so you need to i wish i started gathering it sooner i wish i had like a a digital file that I could send to each new elected member and say, Hey, just so you know, you weren't here last term coming into this term. This is a greenlit project that we're all behind. Whereas in the meantime, another group can come in and say, nobody wants it. Everyone hates cycleways and they're more powerful and they're allowed to make flippant remarks. So basically the data is not going us and them. The data is saying this is the trend and this is the trajectory of a project. I don't care where you stand on it as an individual The data shows that the majority of the population that live in this area were for this project. So we need to use data more. And people are getting really upset about this stretch because our city is always going to be for the people that need to pass fast and easily through it. Or can it also be a little bit more balanced so that the people living in the places that are totally welcoming and hospitable to the people move in the way they are choosing to, especially we're on a fringe suburb. So we have the capacity to not get in a car and walk the 40 minutes and enjoy it. So right now we used to do that, but in the last five years, it's super unsafe. So we're trying to collect the data to show that this is happening for a reason. It's not just to give you traffic and it's going to suck for two years, but we have the data to show that up the road, we stopped everything for two years, but they're making more money. Cycling's up. That neighborhood's flourishing. We're just going to extend it a K and the benefits will extend, it'll be, it's okay. You, you have to like, you have to show them the future today. So they yep. trust you. Otherwise they think, I don't know. It's very bizarre convincing people. The data yes. is not faked for their.
2: No, totally. I think, yeah. And, and and it is a long game. Like it's not short term, which is, you know, sometimes
0: very frustrating,
2: but you know, being a change maker is not easy. But, yeah, I think showing the data, and and you're right, it's like showing it particularly, well, it depends on people's mindsets, but they don't necessarily want to be the first to do things. So if we can show them in a different way, and so that's where, like, the data of your place is important, but then also being able to show, not necessarily benchmark. I don't think it's just kind of showing, oh, we did these things, this is what we learned, and then this is what we think will happen when we apply it to your place or whatever the case is, is really important.
0: I think they try to do that with the SDGs, right? Mm. I still barely even know what the sustainable... What are development saying? goals. Yeah. So so say that to someone else who's from... Australia, and that's already hard, right? Because you have to say SDG and then sustainable development goal. I feel yep. like we need those for a local government starting point as an induction. So hello, because some of these people have never been in the worlds we're in, right? We've been doing this for, let's say, eight years. Open space, walkability. And then they're elected and they're plomped there because they love politics and then you're like no no you actually have to decide if 20 million goes here and if we're gonna reinvent like this is a safe swim app they were gonna cut it out of the budget because they're like oh no one really looks at it so we have to answer all these surveys that says no i actually do look at it so that's the other data are we collecting data that tells the new mayor and the new leader the tech that is used enough to value and keep going and reminding them that this isn't an option to cut in the budget like it's very Mm. bizarre that every three years you can have things like your safe swim app well it's even ridiculous we have libraries about to be cut so all these things smart stuff included need to be in some sort of induction of like Mm. local government these are all and key words when you ask so you're having a presentation i feel like we'll have a presentation from a local member and they don't have the indicators they're new to the job and they ask questions but then They'll you'll answer in a qualitative way, "I love my city. I want to make I want to park. I want it to be beautiful." And then they'll go to a workshop that you're not allowed in the room to. And they'll give them technical terms the elected member doesn't understand. And the designers will talk them out of all the things the community said they didn't want to happen, but that their pitch sounds more important because it's more technical and smart. Meanwhile, the qualitative so, so there needs to be that merger of a story where both sides are valued, but they're also streamlined and also, on the same page because so I feel like sometimes it must be hard when you're an elected member which I've never been but I've been in the rooms with them sometimes where they're getting it's like the left hand and the right hand and how do you know you're doing right by the data but also right by people
2: no I agree and I think being that translator is, is and it's bringing that together I mean it's so why I started using smart community instead of smart city because like community automatically means people right and the collaboration and like you, you it's like you, you think about that and if people don't know what smart city is, they can kind of turn off and say, oh, well, one, maybe I don't live in a city and maybe I don't connect with that. But community, it's like, and, you know, whatever this word smart means, it doesn't really matter. It's like what we actually want to shape our, you know, communities mm. of the future. Speaking of the future, we should zoom to the future now. Okay, um, I like that. What are the emerging trends that people
0: aren't talking about enough? I definitely think waste management but i am still yet to, you'll see it in one city and then you won't see it in another. So it's something you think, oh, we should talk about that. Like allocating parking zones for scooters is another one that we just got, which LA had like 10 years ago, where you don't let people park in certain spots. Another data count is pedestrian counts, but not just in finance districts. So why aren't schools zones being funded to count? Pardon me, no one's counting the number of kids. And that worries me that we're prioritizing cars in and out of city centers for money, but we're not counting the amount of kids. And they say they do, but in our school, it's like one day a month, one day over six months. And it's some piece of paper that's written. It's not actually hard. I don't trust the numbers because it's from a teacher who's already overworked and upset. You know, their life is, they have so many other jobs. Upset's the wrong adjective. Overworked and doesn't need another job. So we should finance from the tech end collecting quality pedestrian data and scooter data and multimodal data from the schools. And it should be from an outside source, not an additional job for a school to manage. Because at the end of the day, the surrounding zone of a school is not the school's responsibility as much as it is the mayor, the elected member, the parents. And I think that's an emerging trend that needs to be taken seriously. How the kids get to and from school and the data should be trustworthy, honest, and not an additional job for a teacher. That's just wrong. So that's why I think it's so weak is because they all go, like, oh yeah, travel travel trends. Ask the teacher to ca- have her kids raise their hand. That's not fair. That's yeah. And then another one we're doing, I thought an emerging trend we should do more of is apps, right? So people are making apps and we definitely, I think, have maybe too many apps. But one cool thing, I don't know if cities in Australia or overseas have it. It was called Snap Share Fix or something. I need to look it up better, but it's Christchurch. And if you can find the link, what was yes. funny is we had such a bad cyclone here in Auckland that people were accidentally snapping and sharing Auckland to the Christchurch council website. Oh, wow. Because in theory, that is a very efficient tool. You have a broken trail. You take a photo within 24 hours. If it's not a small enough job, like a broken bin, the city council comes out, which is similar to some of the bin apps. And then another emerging trend, which if your mayor's older and doesn't understand how smart city communities work he just cut the funding for this local government agency we're all a part of as a city. And they had saved our city apparently a million dollars by swapping all our lights out to LED, which I guess automated them to like dim and turn on on their own, which I guess saved so much power that in the end it was up to a million dollars a year. Well, even just
2: just going from like normal to LED would have saved.
0: Yeah. And if we weren't part of that group organization that sharing knowledge and saying, Hey, Nelson down here is using this great, led lights you guys should use it that's the other thing is when there is a new trend like thank god for this part of your podcast right because as soon as someone hears of a future trend that i don't that people may or may not know about the led lights obviously some people didn't know about so when they remove themselves from the group they were saying look we brought you this new data that you didn't know because you're in this group so there are benefits to constantly meeting with local government officials to share future trends and mm-hmm. so i guess from that snap idea and there was also this it's a little dated, but I learned it from Tim Gill, who wrote the book Urban Playground. He was talking about traffic agents in Oslo, Norway, where they let the kids, which is a perfect, actually, my dream merger, where the, similar to the inhabit place app, but the ha- in the hands of the student. And so they're saying, I'm walking to school, this bush here is sticking out. I'm walking to school, there's no crosswalk here. And like in a month, certain things got fixed for those students based on their personal data in an app. Mm-hmm. And they were called traffic agents. I'm sure there's a Norwegian word for it, but it was Oslo. And that was an emergent trend. And, what, and my concern, like you kept talking about with smart communities ethics, Okay, did the kids give permission? Did the parents give permission? Mm-hmm. But I think when it's to improve your personal route, uh, some people are you sad. You can design
2: that in, like design it right? in from the beginning. It's just about having that that lens at the very beginning rather than an adult later.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking like, even when you move every... You know, people it's so easy to find out how much your house is worth. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like anyone can go, how about in one page, that same page, Zillow or whatever, has your it should have when the bins collected, the walking distance to your supermarket, the walking distance to school. That can be a government initiated thing because that's almost incentivizing realtors to value that as a if, if we're gonna talk about money, this mm-hmm. is all data that can be on a landing page that really has an effect on your quality of life that we could do based on location that we're not celebrating.
2: Well, even like things that might be a a real, it's funny you bring this up. I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, even just bringing in things like flooding data. These are things that uh, a buyer or a renter or whatever wants to know, not necessarily things that uh, a real estate would want to advertise. So you'd need to work out what the commercial model would look like, Mm. but like, yeah. And what people want to actually know about, but I, I think, bring that into a place level is really the data exists or maybe you need to collect a bit more but it's just not accessible for people to be able to get and then understand or they don't feel empowered to actually ask for it because it's like oh well
0: i'll just you know take that risk i'll find out path. when i move in i'll yeah, find is out it-
2: yeah and it's just like wild like it's just like the amount of money you're gonna spend on this place you want to know whether you're at a risk of flooding and is it whatever.
0: ethical yeah is it ethical to accept like $6 million for a home and not have some sort of data line there that says this flood's here this time of year. And also for me, I feel like we need to know more about, New Zealanders are very good. People in Aotearoa are very good about knowing their flora and fauna. But mm. if there are lots of weeds in the area, if there's community groups, that, these are all data sets that are make your house seem more, your community seem more worth the investment, but also they're kind of prompts See, mm. when you're in this neighborhood, these are things you should be aware of, and they can be both good and bad. But we can do that in a locations based way as an induction to welcome to the community. Here's a pie, the American way. Here's a pie. Welcome to the community. Here's a list of all these things that data has been able to put onto a single page.
2: Yeah, I agree. And it, yeah, it goes to that kind of data visualization and storytelling element where it's just bringing, yeah, making it digestible and speaking the language that it needs to be received
0: and you know. so here's the last question i have out of curiosity well a point or question as well if you're mayor right what are things there are so many things i wish i had the capacity because the mayor here only gets one advisor right so mm-hmm. what is he getting briefed and what is he briefing to the mayor and what what is a baseline value system, mayor, whether you're Republican or Democrat or national or labor? I feel like there should be some sort of baseline on livability that should have the data beside it that says, these are projects that are happening now that improve quality of life. These are projects that are gonna take away from quality of life. These are things we were kind of in the air about. And that shouldn't matter. That should be apolitical, I feel like. And we're not kind of having, in our city, mm. I wish we had that kind of, tight little leaflet of induction to a new mayor if they're not the incumbent to catch up because they must spend half whoever is doing it is not necessarily always on the pulse
2: and you can't be across absolutely everything right like it's not but data can help us kind of you know digest things in small chunks but the context is so important like you were talking about
0: and cutting out the space for people to contribute the problem is you Mm. know if you're a placemaker you want to contribute and you're into But maybe other people are like, no, if people knew about that, then they won't let me have my 20-story building here. Like, I don't know that I'm against density, but there's just very, it's Mm. hard to tell people's incentives. Whereas if if mine, it's easy for me because all I do is want my kid not to die while they're walking to school. That's pretty much all I can honestly say out loud. Is like my focus right now for the next year is to get these intersections safe for children to cross. And it's Mm. totally selfish because my daughter is 11, but at the same time, I can openly say it's going to benefit everyone. I just need more data to show that to the drivers, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, we're nearly out of time, but um, where to next for smart communities?
0: For us as a whole group or
2: just yeah? what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Where are we heading to, do you think?
1: I
0: think we've gone through a lot of technology side of things and with AI right now and chat GPT, it's yeah. an interesting one. Luckily luckily or unlucky for me, I'm, I've am i always been hyperhuman. Um, I've worked in restaurants for 20 years. I'm a school teacher, a reliever. I think I'm in my heyday where people are getting more scared of those kind of AI things. They want to learn more about the human nature of life. However, there's so much data there. If we're not going to collect it as much because we know we're feeding AI, we will always need to be better at condensing it digesting it and spitting it back out so people understand it. So I think the future of smart cities right now will be translating the data that exists and finding what data is missing and giving it to the people in time that they can make a decision within a term to make Mm -hmm. a change. Because if we aren't making changes within a three-year term, like we need in our local board, that's not soon enough. So we need to get the smart city model, smart, Community model needs to work at a pace. And because there's so much data, I don't think it's reached the pace that is efficient. And so I think it's efficiency building with the data we are good at collecting now. That's what I would say. I want to improve feeding the data to the people that make decisions faster and in a digestible way, also, so that the stakeholders and the community trust it. Because when they make a decision and say, This is what's happening, we're investing 40 million here. There's simple-to-read infographic data that, you, like you said, tells a story um, about why it's happening. And we used technology to create that, but also used our human ways of understanding that this is going to upset someone, this is going to make someone happy. So make sure that it reads in a way that's not just comforting, but honest and trusted. And that's what's kind of too many numbers is too much, And so there's a way even to have all the data and then tell a story, like you say. And I think while we're dealing with the inundation of AI, maybe the pausing now and just saying, okay, what do we have right now that we can break down?
2: I love that. I think that's brilliant. And I I agree. I think we need to use what we've got, tell that story to make decisions more quickly and easily than we were able to before with that long-term and get like in view, it's not going to be absolutely everything, but I think that's really important.
0: If we look back and then we look forward, that's the key, right? So we look back at what we've created and what we've done as a smart community and find the holes of data. And that's the data collecting we do, but we don't continue to do data collecting that's useless. But we won't know that unless we look back a little bit, I think. I think we haven't looked back enough at what we're up to and if it's useful or not. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think that's important as well.
0: Oh, I'm just
2: looking at the time. We could talk for yeah. a lot more, lot longer. Yeah. But oh, I think I'm, that's... I'm just happy to be with the engineer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed that. And I think that's the way to net Leaving it at that, I think it's a great way to end this conversation. But I just have one last question, uh, which is how can people connect with you?
0: Well, because a lot of my work is within communities, I'm actually very accessible on multiple platforms because I work within council and also on the streets. So you can find me on Instagram at at places for good, also at Boopsie, but my work one is places for good. And we have some activities on there right now for Auckland Photo Festival. And then also on Twitter at places for good, um, LinkedIn Boopsy Moran and Facebook Boopsie Moran. Excellent.
2: Well, we'll put the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Thanks again for joining me
0: on the podcast. Oh, that was really fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks,
1: Bukki. Bye.
2: Bye.
1: The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're looking for support in podcast strategy and production, workshop design and facilitation, or communication and media advisory, Get in touch. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community.
2: Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community/podcasts. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two m's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes, so thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it.
0: The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.